Don't turn the TV off just yet. We're uh, going to look to God's Word uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, you, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And as your um, opening up there, I just do want to say a word of gratitude uh, to those who are here today serving and uh, would probably enjoy uh, participating in Pajama Church 2020, but instead they're here. Of course, Nathan is in his pajamas today. Uh, he uh, <laughs> wears a suit 24-7, and so uh, we praise God uh, for that. If uh, you have your Bibles open there, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. And as you hear the word of the Lord, bear in mind that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Now, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast... But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon, rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we ask you even now, would you please open our hearts and minds. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And God, it is our prayer that we would be changed by the power of your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. We live in what can only be characterized as the most advanced time in the history of human civilization. We've made advances in everything. I, I can't think of anything we've not seemingly made in terms of human realities advances in. We have technological advances that would have seemed like science fiction just a couple of decades ago. In fact, right now I'm, I have my sermon notes on an iPad. And I can remember seeing things like this on cartoons when I was a kid and thinking, man, wouldn't that be cool if we had stuff like that? I carry now around in my pocket all the time something I only dreamed of, a Ninja Turtle communicator, a.k.a. an iPhone. Right? And I can call people and contact people anytime I want. And there are things that would have just seemed like pure fantasy uh, just a couple of decades ago, even in my own lifetime. Every time I go pray with someone before uh, surgery, I hear from them what the surgery is going to do and what they're planning to do. And over and over again, when I go hear what these surgeries are going to look like and what sort of medicine is going to be used, my mind is blown. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm stunned by how amazing medical advances have become. It's unprecedented in human history. Things that decades ago would have killed people are day surgeries now. You know, sometimes we read of the ancients. We read the text of the Bible. We, we read about people who lived a long time ago, and we feel like life is so different. And, and there certainly is a sense in which life is very different. And yet, just like those who lived before us, and just like those who will live after us, we are dust. And to dust we shall return. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. And today is such a strange day. And it's a day where we recognize in a profound way that we are living in times where the whole world has been brought to its knees. And I recognize some people think this is all an overreaction. Some people think it's an underreaction. Some people see this one way or the other. But the reality is, is the same for all of us, and it's something we all need to let sit down on us this morning. Human civilization, some of the great countries of the world, have been brought to their knees by a virus. A virus. Something simple. Something we know about. Something we understand. A strain that's not dissimilar to a cold and yet is a novel virus that's extremely contagious and is spreading throughout the world even now. And so we take a morning like this and a day like this and a week like this that's strange. One of the things that annoys me out in the world are people who always say, uh, as if seminary is supposed to teach you everything. Now that's not something they taught you in seminary. Well, I will go ahead and say global pandemic response is not something they taught me in seminary. None of us have a playbook for this. None of us are prepared for this sort of thing entirely. For all of our wealth, for all of our accomplishments, 
for all of our technology, for all of our abilities, for all of our strength, for all of our medical advances, all of our intelligence, all of the ways that we can communicate in unprecedented ways, a virus, a virus stops at all. I would argue that we in the Lord's church, and I hope this will spread across society, I hope this will catch in all of us, we must take this time as an opportunity to humble ourselves before God. We must let this be a dose of humility that recognizes that human progress is not what we thought it was that we are not as strong and capable as we thought we were. And each and every Christian must take this opportunity to cultivate humility in his or her own heart. Take this time. And it's looking like we may spend some days at home. I'm praying for all of you and myself if we have to spend a lot of days at home. I'm not going to make it half a day without having a panic attack sitting in the house. Take this time, though, not not only to do all the things you know you need to do, love your family well, read a book, those kinds of things, but take this time to cultivate humility in your own heart. When you feel those pangs of frustration and those pangs of wishing there was something you could do, take this time to be humble before a holy and powerful God. I want to just show you this morning three truths that I think will help you cultivate humility in your own heart. Heart. Three truths that I think will help you become a more humble person, and in particular, a more humble Christian. Three truths about humility today. Here's the first. Humility is God-oriented. Humility is God-oriented. You see, if we're going to be humble people, if we're going to be humble Christians, we have to maintain a God-oriented perspective. The horizon of our lives must always be Godward. We, we can't always have our nose down in the dust and the things that are fading, but we must always have a vision of the risen Christ. We must be God-oriented. You see, Paul's detractors, apparently, it seems like we're bragging about spiritual experiences. This is a hallmark of false teaching. This is a hallmark of what people do. You've got faithful preachers who are preaching the gospel, and then you have hucksters who are saying, that's not enough. Guess what happened to me? You know, God came to me in a dream and told me you needed to give me money. Right? You know the drill. They were apparently bragging about spiritual experiences. What about you, Paul? What about you? Have you ever had these experiences like we've had? Have you ever experienced this before? And in a sign of his humility, Paul seems to reluctantly begin to talk about these things, and he talks about them in the third person. He, he, he talks about, well, if we've, if we've got to brag, and I think it's foolish to brag, but I will only boast in the Lord. And, and Paul continues to, to carry out this theme of saying, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. And so Paul, in a very uh, a humble fashion, begins to say, well, if we're talking about spiritual experiences, yeah, I've had them. Verse 1, he says, I've had visions and revelations. Uh, verse 2, he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And don't get weirded out by this idea of a third heaven, just kind of in a historic 
cosmology, our understanding would be that the first heaven's the sky. The second heaven is where the sun and the moon and the stars are. And the third heaven is where God is. It's just sort of a historic Jewish cosmology, and that's what Paul's referencing. He's trying to make it clear, I didn't go to space, I was caught up into where God was. He said, I don't know if it was in the spirit or in the body, but it happened. God knows. He he further defines what this third heaven is. He says he was caught up into paradise. It's an understanding that he is where God is. It's where Jesus said, The thief would meet him that day when he put his faith in him. And there, in verse 4, we learn Paul heard things that cannot be told, things he's not allowed to speak of. And yet, when you think about it, you look through the New Testament, isn't it amazing how rarely Paul mentions anything like this? You you know, you would think if this happened to you and you were trying to teach people, you know, if, if people say now they go to heaven, what do they do? They write books and all this kind of stuff. They do all this kind of thing to try to highlight it and advertise it and everything else. I saw God face to face. This is what it's going to be like. Yes, your papa's there. You know, they, they do all this kind of thing, these media tours, to try to make sure everybody knows their experience. And yet, what did Paul do? Kept it quiet. Held it close to the, to the vest. He, he doesn't talk about these things unless he's forced to. Why is that? Because Paul's ministry was about God, not about Paul. Now, God gave Paul some experiences that I've never had, and that's God's right to do that. But you'll notice those are not the things that define Paul's ministry. What defined Paul's ministry? Preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He preached the gospel. He was pointing people to be reconciled to God through Christ in his ministry. What is he valuing? Not these personal experiences, but in humility he's saying, more valuable than me being caught up into the third heaven, more valuable than me being told things that no one else has heard. More valuable than me going places where no man can go unless he dies. More valuable than me having a one-on-one personal experience with Jesus that no one else has had. What is more important than that is for me to declare Jesus Christ lived and died for your sins and he rose again on the third day. There's a humility to Paul. There's a humility to Paul where he is valuing preaching the gospel and valuing preaching Christ crucified more than he values talking about his personal experiences with God. You see, this is so important because it shows that Paul is humble enough to make God and not Paul the main thing. My friends, humility keeps a Godward perspective. Humility makes God the main thing in our lives. But not only do we keep our focus on God, also we recognize humility trusts God. We live a God-oriented life, but also those who are humble, humility trusts God. What does Paul say next? Y'all, pride, pride will eat you up. Pride will get after you. Um, Even among people who know that they're 100% dependent on God, like a preacher. You know, I'm, I'm not special. I know that. I know that from the text of the Bible. I know that. And yet, there's still something in us, isn't there? You're special. You're so wonderful. You're the best. You, you, you're so great. Can you imagine being Paul? Can you imagine the temptation that Paul had? 
the abilities, the giftings that Paul had, the, the suffering that Paul went through, all these things. Don't you see how easy it would be for Paul to just sort of brag all the time? Oh, Peter, you walked with Jesus. Oh, really? Well, I didn't happen to see you up in the third heaven the other day. That's interesting. Don't, don't you see how tempting it could be for them to do that? And yet, what happens? God appoints to Paul a thorn in his flesh. So to keep me, verse 7, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, we trust God even when there's a thorn in our flesh. Even when we are struggling, it, it seems likely that the thorn in the flesh for Paul was some sort of a physical sickness or pain or malady. It, the idea of a thorn in the flesh seems to indicate that it was something with his body. But the fact that it was meant to keep him from getting prideful, one wonders if it was some sort of a spiritual temptation or, or something along those lines. We don't know. But nonetheless, we recognize, based on this context, that it was something that significantly impacted Paul. It, it was a, a help. Even though it was a messenger from Satan, it was something that he saw as a, a uh, symptom of the fall and the sinfulness of man and something that was from the devil. Nonetheless, God used this thing in his sovereignty to help keep Paul from becoming conceited. My friends, we must trust God even when we are debilitated by weakness in a pronounced way. Even when we have something we might call a thorn in our flesh, even when we are weak in our body, even when we are riddled with temptation, even when we are struggling, even when we feel under attack, we must trust God and trust that God is using even something that seems like to us a messenger from Satan. We must trust that God is using us, using it in that moment to humble us. Perhaps it's actually a grace from God to help us be humble. But we must also trust God not only when there's a thorn, but we must also trust God when trials don't pass. We see in verse 8 that Paul asked God three times for the thorn to pass from him, for, for it to go away, and yet it did not. Can we trust God when it seems like he's not answering our prayers? Can we trust God? When we ask Him for something to go away and He doesn't, can we trust that He loves us when He does not spare us suffering? Oh, I hope you can. I hope you can. I hope you can do what His Son did and trust the Father even in the midst of your suffering. Can you trust God when there's a thorn, when trials don't pass? And can you trust God when you're weak? When you're weak. What does Paul say in verses 9 and 10? But he said to me, after he'd asked three times, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon, rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says others are trying to highlight their strengths. Well, I have the same strengths 
In fact, my strengths are better. If they've had some sort of spiritual experience, I've been called up into the third heaven. If they've served the Lord, I've served the Lord in greater ways. In fact, I brought the gospel to you. I've been through all sorts of sufferings. I've done all these things. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, that's not what I choose to highlight. It's foolishness to highlight those things. What I choose to highlight is not my pedigree, not my greatness. I want you to see my weakness because it's through my weakness that a crucified Lord shines the brightest. It's where God's strength is made perfect. You see, humble people value God's strength more than their own. Wouldn't it be just like God? Wouldn't it be just like the Lord? On the week we scheduled a revival, On the week, we had big plans. During the time, we were all planning to reach Gadsden for Christ at Easter time. There's nothing wrong with praying revival, scheduling revival meetings, nothing wrong with trying to reach people at Easter. But wouldn't it be just like God to say all those Easter invitations, you can't use them? All those plans you had, you can't do them. Those special speakers you had coming in, they can't come. All your plans are canceled wouldn't it be just like God to revive his people anyway wouldn't it be just like God in our weakness to manifest and to demonstrate his strength and power and wouldn't it be wonderful if God's people during this time humbled themselves before God and said God we are weak we can't even leave the house right now but God would you use us in humility we know you don't need our strength God would you use our weakness humble people don't try to simply live out of their own strength Humble people recognize that the hand of a sovereign God deals us a hand sometimes that we're not happy with. What a time for God to manifest His strength in our weakness when we're on our knees. Finally, humility lets others speak. Humility lets others speak. Paul shifts gears just a little bit, but I think it's wise to look at these verses with the preceding verses. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. You see, we don't feel the need as Christians to speak out about ourselves. Humility lets others speak for us. That's what Paul's driving at here. You've seen me. You know my work. You should have dealt with this. You should have spoken about this. I'm not defending myself in all this. You should have done that. You've seen the power of God manifested through my weakness. Are you so spiritually blind that you can't see the work of God? I ought to, he says, have been commended by you. He's not saying I was so great. He's saying, did you not see God at work? Did did you not see what the Lord was doing? The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Why is it you've got this problem? Is the problem you have that I didn't burden you, that I didn't let you pay me? And then once again, Paul brings out the sarcasm just a little bit again. Forgive me this wrong. I'm sorry I didn't take money from you. Next time I'll be glad to. Forgive me this wrong. Brothers and sisters, we must speak out when it's right. 
We must speak out when it's right. You see, it helps humility when we speak out so that others don't have to defend themselves and be tempted toward pride. We must be humble about our own accomplishments, and we must do what Jesus did, and we must let our Father speak on our behalf. We must trust God that He is at work even when we are weak, and we must let others speak on our behalf. We are not out trying to demonstrate and show and 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 brag about how good we are or what we've done, we let others say it. And when others don't, we trust God that He'll say it on that great day when it's time. All things will be laid bare. All things, all things will be revealed. What might God do with a humble church It's not at its strongest, but it's at its weakest. What might God do when we let others speak about us? What might God do when we trust Him no matter what? What might God do when our perspective and our focus is situated on Him? What might God do when we have the attitude Paul had? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, during this time and during this season and here on this Lord's Day, we're not hiding in our homes. We're not fearful of the future. We're not sitting around wringing our hands. Thankfully, they're, they're, uh, all the uh, skin is knocked off of them from hand sanitizer and wringing our hands, right? That's not what we're doing. Worried about getting sick. No. Today and in the days to come, we are on our knees before a sovereign God saying, Lord, there is nothing we can do except wash our hands. There is nothing we can do but trust you in our weakness. There is nothing we can do but look and see how we are insufficient. What good news, my friends, what good news this is for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great day this is for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a triumphal day this is for believers all the world over. What a good thing it is to be brought low before a sovereign and a holy God. Because when we are weak, He is strong. I want to invite you today to do business with the Lord. We'll have some soft music playing. And if you have questions or thoughts or business you need to do with the Lord, you can email me. My email address will be put up on the screen. It's malexander at fbcgazin.org. You take a few moments here this morning to pray, to ask God to work in your heart and in your life, And to ask God to manifest His strength even when you're weak. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with God today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You so much for Jesus. We thank You for His gospel. And God, we pray Your strength will be manifested in our weakness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.